0: Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and this is season four. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. Friends, we are living in a truly remarkable time. Never before has the future seemed so uncertain. And what better time to be dwelling in the book of Acts among a people who were living in unprecedented times. May we find ourselves in these stories as we find ourselves in God's story. Our guest preacher today is a dear friend of mine, Dr. Sarah Barton. Sarah preached this sermon for the Camarillo Church of Christ in Southern California just before the quarantine started. I asked her to share it with us for the podcast, and in our interview, we talk about some further implications of the text and the message for us in the midst of quarantine and for when we are on the other side of this. We recorded our interview on April 18th, so although this episode is going live later on, um, that's your frame of reference for when we're actually having this conversation. Sarah's text is Acts 11, with some reaching back into Acts 10 to talk about three conversions. Let's hear a word.
1: Good morning. Uh, As I begin today, I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're actually going to be in chapters 10 and 11. And I have titled this sermon, A Tale of Three Conversions. And to get us going, I just want to look at the dictionary definition of the word convert. The word convert can mean change or turn around or transform it can actually mean metamorphosis which when we think of metamorphosis we think of something as beautiful as a butterfly emerging into the world that can also be a meaning of conversion and so this is going to be the story of three conversions in Acts 10 we read the story we usually associate with conversion it's about Cornelius and Cornelius is converted to the way of Jesus Christ. His religious beliefs and practices are transformed. And Cornelius reminds us that even a rough and tough masculine guy, a man with plenty of power and privilege, I mean, he's from Caesarea. That is Caesar's town. He has privilege. He's a soldier. He's a self-sufficient man by all measures. And yet what we see in this conversion is that even a man with all this worldly power must humble himself to a vision from, from God. And it's beautiful what happens when Cornelius is converted. Those of us in this room who have decided to follow Jesus, we can probably remember that initial metamorphosis in our lives, like a butterfly breaking out of a cocoon. In our that Our spiritual lives have been like that, as Paul says. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And we remember that metamorphosis. And of course, if we've experienced that conversion, we want others to experience too. Experience that too. If there's anyone who has not decided to follow Jesus, who's here today, all we can say is what Peter said to Cornelius. Everyone who believes in Jesus... Receives forgiveness of sins through his name. To convert to the way of Jesus is a wonderful and healing experience, a life beyond compare. And that's what happened to Cornelius in Acts 10. Conversion number one. Next, conversion number two. In Acts 10, we hear the tale of another kind of conversion, conversion that we don't often refer to as conversion, but it is. It's the story in which Peter is converted to a new theological point of view. His religious beliefs cannot remain stagnant. They have to catch up to God who is on the move. Now, those of us who are followers of Jesus in this very room, we've probably all been through this second kind of conversion too, or we're going through it right now. Oh, the tales we could tell about what we were taught when we were young that we don't believe anymore as adults. And we could share about what God did to change our theological minds and transform our hearts. Some call it faith deconstruction and reconstruction. Some call it a journey through a desert. Some call it spiritual struggle. The psalmist describes it as being lifted out of a pit. But eventually, like Peter, we emerge And we testify that God can teach us new things if we stay open to God's movement. That's a kind of conversion, changing one's theological mind. And Acts 10 tells how that happened to Peter. I've mentioned several times to you that John and I were missionaries in Uganda, and I have another story about that today. We learned so much about table fellowship from our Ugandan brothers and sisters. A high value in Ugandan culture is to eat what is set before you. So we ate it, whatever it was, millet and chicken gizzards and goat meat and cooked bananas with peanut sauce. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it because, as Peter learned, food is about more than food. Food is about people. We also taught our kids to eat what they were given and we were proud when they would dig into big bowls of local food, making all the mamas feel special when they ate every last bite and asked for more. One of my proudest moments right there with pictures of graduation and honor roll awards was when our kids, Nate and Bryn, dug into a seasonal Ugandan delicacy that on, that's only available about once a year, a big bowl of roasted termites. I was so proud of them as I took that picture and greasy little termite wings and tentacles stuck to their lips. The look of, on some of your faces right now helps make my next point. We respond to things we do not like with disgust. Richard Beck in his book, Unclean, writes about that look of disgust. He says, Disgust is characterized by a distinctive facial response seen in the wrinkling of the nose and the raising of the upper lip. We know that this distinctive facial expression is a cultural universal. All human beings make the same face when they experience disgust. So you just saw it on your faces, and you can imagine what this looks like on people's faces. It's disgust. Well, my goal with my children was that when they were exposed to a new food, they would not respond with disgust. I hope they would genuinely and with excitement want to try new things. So, thanks to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and another important classic, green eggs and ham, I must say that one of our favorite family things to do is try new foods. We did, eventually, however, find one food our son Nate does not like, mushrooms. He has tried them various ways with an open mind, but he does not like them in a box. He does not like them with a fox. He does not like them here or there. He does not like them anywhere. One time when we were at our neighbor's house and we were served mushrooms, here's a shout-out to Jeff and Gigi, who served us these mushrooms, our neighbors, a big bowl of straight mushrooms. Nate was trying to be polite because our neighbors were having us over to eat. So he put some mushrooms on his plate, and he tried. The kid tried. He tried to keep an open mind. But the look of disgust on his face as his own hands brought those mushrooms to his mouth and eventually chewed them was Well, you know that look, a look of disgust. And if you're seeing our text today properly, you will see that look of disgust as you hear the word of God from Acts 11. Here's our main text today. Verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, We have to hear the collective gasp here. We have to see that look, that look of disgust that Nate makes when he served mushrooms. This moment is full of suspense as the circumcised believers hear the story, picture Peter eating unclean foods, and respond with this visceral response, this look of disgust, and Peter says what they are all thinking. Verse 8, I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I like the versions that translate this response. No way, Lord. <laughs> he, said, he said to the Lord, no way. Which I think better captures our American dialect. We can see little kids looking at a new food with disgust and say, no way am I going to eat that. Peter continues, verse 9. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean this happened three times and then it was pulled up to heaven again now according to Chris Collins sermon from Luke 22 a couple weeks ago we might all hear cock-a-doodle-doo in the background at this point because here it is again Peter denies three times Peter says no to God three times again So you wonder if the people he's talking to, the believers in Jerusalem, put three and three together at this moment and start to wonder if something big is about to happen again. And it does. Verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. Now, this is actually a story told more than once in Acts. And here, it's told twice in a row. It's told in chapter 10, and it's told in chapter 11. This is Luke, the author's way of emphasizing the importance of this story. It has been called the Gentile Pentecost. So it's an important story. And it's told in chapter 10 by the narrator. And here in chapter 11, it's told by Peter. Now, notice this. The chapter 10 version. Look back on it, chapter 10. Turn the page back. The chapter 10 version tells us that this house, Peter refers to, was a Tanner's house. By the way, apologies to the vegetarians and the generally squeamish in the room. I thought about calling this sermon What's Grosser Than Gross because the story does get a little grosser than gross for Peter. We know from studies of ancient Israel that a tanner's house was likely on the outskirts of town because tanning involved taking the skins of dead animals, carrying the stench of decaying flesh, and rubbing them with animal brains and dung and urine. A tanner's house was already a nauseating place to be, even before the pig dream. So can you see the irony? Peter stands on the roof of a tanner's house, amid the stink of dung and urine, and there he stands defending kosher food laws. It's kind of no surprise that he leaves that detail out about where he was actually standing. But while he stands there, he says... No way, Lord, to God. So with the Tanner's house in our minds and nostrils, and noticing that Peter conveniently leaves out the detail that it was a Tanner's house, we hear him continue the story in verse 12. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appearing in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now, while visions are not generally our method of discernment in our modern world, they were respected in ancient days. So think about how Luke uses them. We've seen that all through this series of Luke and Acts that we're doing at church. Remember, back to our Christmas sermon, how Mary first received a vision, and then Joseph was able to understand because he also received a vision. Those are corroborating visions, and corroborating visions were evidence. They were useful for discernment. And one thing Luke does not want us to miss is that even Mary, a young woman at the bottom of the social pyramid of her day with no capital or respect in a forgotten place like Nazareth, Mary was worthy of God's vision. And here, stretch even further. Even a Gentile like Cornelius is worthy, worthy of a word from God. Verse 15, and I began to speak. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And there, there we have our third tale of conversion. It's probably the most surprising and astounding kind of conversion, if you ask me. Look what happens. An entire group of religious people in unity and oneness change their theological minds together. Anybody who has ever led people through a process as simple as choosing the location for a ladies' retreat knows that getting everyone to agree on anything is a minor miracle. Am I right, Nancy? And here we have God's people agreeing on something far greater, the reconciling mission of God for all people. We humans often get caught up on that. Look at history. We get caught caught up on Who's in and who's out? Who's right and who's not? Who's good and who's bad? This passage is obviously about more than Peter's dietary preferences. Food for people in ancient Judaism was about much more than food. Who you ate with was about acceptance and equality in relationships. So when Peter stood on that roof and said, no way, Lord. And later when the circumcised believers were questioning and criticizing, criticizing him for it, it was not just about the food. It was about the people. They weren't just turning up their noses at mushrooms and termites. They were disgusted by people. They were disgusted because of human beings they considered unclean. And the point is that God shows no favoritism the universal goal of the blessing and call of Abraham all the way back to Genesis 12 is ultimately to bless all people in all the world. And in Acts, the first Jesus followers had to figure out how to catch up with God's purposes because God was on the move. When Luke constructed this passage in Acts, he was very specifically deciding to tell this story twice. He did it on purpose. This story is so central to Acts and to the gospel in the big picture, that it needed to be double underlined. It's highlighted before highlighters. That's the way Luke decided to do it. And why would he do that? This story is repeated two chapters in a row for a reason. Luke double underlines it, that tricky process of human decision-making, at a time when the church was called to include people they did not want to include, Luke is showing us how the church took a risky step involving great struggle, requiring them to fundamentally reinterpret important beliefs. Many of you are longtime members and devoted servants in the church, and if anyone knows of the great struggle in the church to fundamentally reinterpret some long-held beliefs, it is you, it is us, And here's one thing we can all agree on. When God moves in new and unfamiliar ways, everyone is not always happy about it. There is almost always resistance. And this text asks us a hard question. Are we capable of praise if God shows us something new? Look at the end of the passage. The believers in Jerusalem praise God they praised God because they realized they had been wrong about who was in and who was out. The gospel teaches us that keeping up with God's love has always stretched God's people to change. So we must keep studying the scriptures, always studying the scriptures, always studying the prophets. And we have to learn how to recognize the Holy Spirit because the mission of God is led by. the Holy Spirit. Acts. I like to think of acts as the acts of the Holy Spirit. That kind of discernment is not a heavy burden too much for us to bear. It is not impossible. There's no controversial mountain we cannot climb. There's nothing to fear. For this is the joy of our lives together, participating in the ongoing life and mission of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in Southern California in 2020. So we've seen the tale of three conversions, and now we add a fourth. One, the metamorphosis, the breaking open of the life of the soldier Cornelius. Two, the breaking open of Peter's life. Three, the unified breaking open of a community of Jesus followers. And four, May we see today the breaking open, the conversion of our own lives like butterflies emerging into the week before us. And when that breaking open happens, when the Holy Spirit reveals to us how we need to change for the mission of God to happen, may we praise God saying, so then even to those we had counted out and left out, God has granted repentance that leads to life.
0: I'm here with Dr. Sarah Barton, all the way from Pepperdine University. Sarah, welcome.
1: Hey, Jen. It's great to be here.
0: It's so good to see your face. Good to see you, too. Our audience doesn't know this, but we've been friends for many, many years and worked together at Pepperdine for a short time, and it's just so good um, to stay in touch and so good to hear your preaching voice again.
1: I'm glad um, to see you and hear you, too, especially because we are recording during our coronavirus, um, you know, social distancing. So it's just good to see a person, um, it's great to see a person. So
0: yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Sarah, tell us uh, a little bit about where you're located and what you do in your day-to-day life pre-quarantine.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I'm the university chaplain at Pepperdine university, which is in Malibu, California. And being a chaplain, um, of course, means tending to students. And that's what people often think of and to the lives, especially spiritual lives of students. Um, and it also means interacting with the, um, the academic community, the professors, the people, the staff, the counseling center, all the people who work to care for students together. So I'm involved with um, partnerships all across the university, including five. Pepperdine has five schools, so we often think of undergraduate students, but I work with students in professional schools, students who are, um, you know, bus- working in businesses by day and going to school by night, and mm-hmm. all kinds of students. So, including- so it it
0: it sounds like a pretty big job, but the reality is, it's an even bigger job than it sounds like, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, is,
1: it is a big job, and it's a great job.
0: Well, I'm so glad you're there. I know that the Pepperdine community is blessed by your presence and your leadership, and you've done such great work since you've been there. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about the sermon. Yes. Um, So your sermon on three conversions. um, I loved how you framed that. um, How you how you started out by talking about conversions. You know, not not just being in maybe the way that we think about it, like a religious conversion from one thing to the next, but more about it being a metamorphosis, a breaking open. Um, A kind of new life. Um, So you talked about Cornelius, you talked about Peter, and you talked about the community. Which you're right, that's not one that we typically think of as a conversion, but indeed, like they did, really have to turn turn from one way of thinking, and you know, as a group. And I love the example of like the women's retreat. Like, I mean, no committee comes to a consensus without like serious struggle. So you know i kind of wonder what that what those community conversations looked like and how long they actually took um but i really love the way that you frame that talking about like us needing to catch up with god and the and the movement of god's spirit and god's purposes um and uh let's see so you you at the end then say like okay we've been talking about these three but there's also a fourth one um and you know I like saying
1: tricky. i like being tricky like that I told <laughs> you it was three pretty- you thought it was two, I told you it was three, and now there's four. Yes, in like the last minute. Yeah. Um, so you
0: said, you know, when the Holy Spirit reveals to us um, something that needs to change in order for, for us to pursue the mission of God or for the mission of God to, to come alive among us, um, you offered a blessing, you know, may we also praise God saying, so then even those we had counted out and left out, God... To them God has granted repentance that leads to life and that got me wondering um, because you said it with passion and we're not talking about 2,000 years ago anymore we're not talking about these first believers who said oh even those even these Gentiles that we didn't think were supposed to be included so who did you have in mind who who was God kind of putting on your heart in this thinking about like the Holy Spirit's revealing to us somebody that we've counted out was there was there a specific people group
1: you know, there's not, for me, there wasn't like some specific target, like, Oh, I really want to get this group apart, uh, across in my mind. I have some that I'll, that I can share with you. But what I know is that for every listener, there's as many people as there are as many people as, as we are for every one of us, we're at different stages and places in our spiritual lives and our discernment of how yeah. we're about our own. Um, salvation and how we're thinking about others and so I really purposely wanted to leave that open I wanted it mm. to be a question and so in response to this sermon some people said oh I just love it that you preached about that because I just knew you were talking about women should be included fully and and there's <laughs> a, it's got to be that and then some people said I love what you said because it's got to be about the inclusion of, of LGBTQ Christians in the life of the church that's what it's yeah. be about and you know, I think that that's part of what the text is doing. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that only I'm doing. I think the text is doing that. It's challenging. Yeah. us. It's asking us that question. So I would hope that the sermon would leave those questions open. That I love that. Would make us grapple. And I mean, we can think of all kinds of times when, oh, can I really think that this group of Christians? Who go to that kind of church are right or wrong or in or out. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been through all kinds of phases like that in our yeah. life. We're trying to decide humans do that. Who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wanted the sermon to leave that open-ended because that's what I, that's what I think acts is doing. It's, it's opening, uh, that conversation. And so that's what the sermon should do. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And I I like how you especially pulled out and asked like uh, will we be capable of praise if and when God shows us something new and God's Holy Spirit reveals to us some way in which we need to be broken open and allow ourselves to change not just will we accept it will we begrudgingly you know say okay we'll go along with this um, but are we capable of praise,
1: praise. Uh, in response you know, to that I think that there was that praise. That they could admit they were wrong, but they were happy that God was more inclusive than they may have earlier thought. Yeah. But the sense I get in the passage is that it's this release of a burden they've been carrying. Oh, we don't have to carry that burden anymore. Wow. And I wish we could get there. In our lives, more because it is a burden. It is a burden to try to be God and decide <laughs> who who uh, <laughs> who is God, uh, who's in and who's out, and who's right and who's wrong. Of course, we have to um, we have to make hard decisions in this life. I'm not saying there aren't times to have hard conversations, but when we try to be God and and make the decisions that are really God's to make, mm. um, I mean, God is ultimate the ultimate judge and so there are things I just think we cannot know for certain and so I think what a burden to let go of to not have to know like Pete ends, he has a book called the sin of certainty isn't that a sin to be so certain and so sure the sin of certainty that we need and what a burden and what what a hard thing that we live with so I think Like Acts 11 is just this dramatic story. I mean, there's not, of course, the Bible is full of just awesome, awesome stories, but think of the dramatic elements of this story, things you see and smell and this, these looks of disgust on people's faces, these like. Peter is in hot water with some people and in the, like for religious people, the worst kind of hot water, he's getting <laughs> theologically and he has to give an explanation. Yeah, And there are all these reactions and there's celebration at their, at the end and there's glorifying of God. Like this short story, Acts 11, 1 to 18. And of course it's connected to, to chapter 10. It is so full of so much. And that to me seems like the human experience. Yeah. I wanted to capture that in the sermon, or I think we should try to capture that in a sermon on Acts 11, because um, it's just, there's so much going on there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I mean, you made the point that we really have to keep studying the scriptures, maybe even especially the prophets, um, as as a way to continue to stay in tune with what God is about. Um, and, you know, having that theological imagination to look around us and see where the Holy Spirit is at work and where God is already ahead of us saying, come on, catch up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and really that's what acts is. I mean, Luke acts together, but there's this geographical movement, mm-hmm. um, you know, outward away from Jerusalem, And yet what we have in Acts 11 is, yeah, it's out. It's going out. Things are moving from Jerusalem to Samaria It's the ends of the earth. And yet there's a circling back and coming back here in chapter 11, back to Jerusalem to have a little talk. (laughs) And to me, that's what the spiritual life is like. My spiritual life is like that. It's not certain. It's not always like I circle back to things. I come Mm -hmm. back to them and, at least in my ministry context, um, that's the reality for a lot of people that I'm pastoring and um, serving as their chaplain. They're discerning students, 18 to 22 year olds who I'm around a lot, not them exclusively because we all do this, but they're in a time of life where they're really discerning what they believe and what they were, mm. um, their parents, what they were taught in high school, what their parents taught them, what their um, youth pastors Uh, taught them and it's natural that they would go through a time in their lives where they're reviewing (laughs) what they believe and they're having all these experiences and meeting new people who um, who might believe and been taught that might have been taught something differently than they were so this passage to me is just I don't know it's very helpful for ministry because it captures (laughs) what it's like I mean poor Peter you know you just think he gets pushed and he gets pushed some more and he gets pushed some more and um that that little element i don't know if you noticed it i hadn't noticed before i prepared this sermon about the three times yeah he denied jesus three times we know that story so well from oh, yeah. the gospels and here he is again saying no no way god no way <laughs> never not at all Three times, not just one, but three times. And that feels real to me. I I, sometimes God has to come knocking, the Holy Spirit has to come knocking several times for my Mm -hmm. for me to get it. And so I just think it's a what Peter experienced, I don't know, we all if we're open to newness, we're gonna experience that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not always on the first try or second. (laughs)
1: <laughs> or, yeah. <seven> or fourth <laughs> as I threw in that four yeah. and in community how hard that is
0: oh my goodness yeah
1: it's so hard in community so
0: yeah and that
1: really so details that.
0: so many details missing from that acts account so I, I mean man to be a fly on the wall as that group sat there and discussed you know I'm sure it wasn't an easy oh Peter said that?
1: That's what Cornelius and his household did? Okay. <laughs> I know. It's like, we want, if you think about it, the way it tells the story, it's kind of touchy feely. It's, um, Peter's in this vulnerable position where he has to describe what happened and why he came to this new, uh, to, I mean, really, I don't think they were as upset with him that he had, he had, counted salvation for the Gentiles as they were that he was eating with them. Mm. (laughs) They were so upset about this, uh, about the fact that he was eating with them and he had to establish why he would eat with them. I mean, that was just such a big thing that I don't think we, we necessarily from our culture understand that emphasis on table fellowship to eat with someone was to share in a specific way. And so, you know, there's this sheet coming down, and it's this thing, and um, there's this point where um, it, he says, "I was looking at it, and I saw it, and I was gazing." <laughs> that, that, that emphasis of looking, seeing, yeah. gazing—like that's three different ways of saying I was thinking hard and seeing <laughs> and trying to look at it from all angles, and. It's a, it's such a, like what we experience spiritually, we see, we look, we try to gaze and then we, we realize, oh, it's not about the food. It's about Mm. the people. Yeah. And and it took that hard look, that, that deep look for him to see that people are more than things. This isn't about the food. This is about truly sharing life Mm. with human beings and being disgusted by human beings. I don't really remember what question you asked, but I, I think that sort of answered it a little bit. <laughs>
0: it, did, it did. Okay. I got one last question for you here. Uh, well, maybe one last one, one for now. Okay. Um, so you also talked about how we, how much we need to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one that's, you know, moving and active in the world and that, that we need to catch up with that that the Holy Spirit is acting and we need to be able to recognize the Holy Spirit. And when you said that, I thought, yeah, wait a second. I was raised in churches of Christ. You were raised in churches of Christ. Talk a little bit about how we view the Holy Spirit and churches of Christ and what our challenges might be in recognizing Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit's work.
1: That's where I think I was um, when I started getting off topic on the last question is I was talking about how this is a very touchy feely thing when He says, let me just tell you what I experienced. I had this vision and this person came and I saw this sheet and then this happened. And and he gives like, what a vulnerable thing to give your testimony. Mm, Yeah. And it's not like he's quoting scripture a lot right there, or he's teaching in a very, you know, like a didactic way. He's Mm -hmm. testifying. Yeah. And what he's testifying to is the power of the spirit. You've seen it before. The spirit is coming on these people, just like the spirit has come on us. And so I think that that's so central to this story. And it does just seem like it happens quickly. And they say, oh, good. (laughs) And you wonder, like, fly on the wall, what really happened? And so I think any of us who come from a tradition that has not, where we've not experienced what it really means to discern the Holy Spirit, we've Mm -hmm. got a lot to learn. And, um, in, especially associated with, uh, since the enlightenment and in the Western world, that's not something we're great at. And so I think we have a lot to learn about how to discern the spirit together, because it's pretty easy to go find a Bible verse that disproves something. If you take it out of context Mm -hmm. or teaches something you think you want it to say, and yet then your experience is, yeah, but. What about this new situation or this new experience? Um, And so I think having grown up in churches of Christ, um, coming to think about what it might mean to discern the Holy Spirit is is something I'm still learning. And honestly, I think that if I were left alone by myself, I would find it easy. (laughs) Well, say more about that. Yeah, but we're not alone by ourselves <laughs> in this faith. We must be together. And that's where I think it's hard. I think it's what has led to a lot of church splits. Um, you know, working with college students, I've seen so many students. This is from not just from Churches of Christ. This is from lots of denominations. Um, there's been a lot of pain that people carry because of church splits and church disagreements and until we can learn how to discern together how to move forward, how to make hard decisions, not just about where to have the ladies retreat, but (laughs) like how, who, what are we going to do when a young woman in the church who's a, a a daughter of one of the elders says, I'm called to preach. And that's not the experience. How are we going to discern that together? Um, other than just to say, Oh no, there's one Bible verse for that. And we've got it. You know, (laughs) how do we then have that experience in groups of people? It's hard. Mm -hmm. And I think acts is teaching us that this is not an easy um, journey we've signed up for (laughs) as Christians. That's (laughs) certain in, um, in acts, this is not easy. And the only way to go through this life and this journey of following Jesus in this world is together. And so we have to, the Holy Spirit, I think, is part of what uh, the gift, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit is part of what helps us to be in each other.
0: Okay, one last quick follow-up question, um, because you're talking about being in community and all of us right now are quarantined or most, you know, many of us in this country. So what does church life look like for you right now?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking about this, um, this sermon I preached right before quarantine. I mean, this was, I think it was in February, um, at my church and, I wondered, Oh, if I was preaching this right now, would something be different? Um, Mm. because we are, we are not meeting together physically, but we're meeting together on zoom Mm -hmm. and we are, um, encouraging each other, reading scripture together, praying together. And we're having, I I preached last week on Easter. Um, we're having shorter sermons, which isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily a bad thing. We're having short (laughs) sermons. And, and so we are, um, we are meeting together in that way for a service. But what I think is happening, at least at my church and in a lot of churches I'm hearing about is people are realizing we are the people together as a community, whether we're together in a building or not, and God is doing things among us, whether we're together in a building or not. And I actually think that can be a good thing i'm feeling um more connected to um the congregation that i belong to and other people my neighbors people i can serve from a distance um than i probably was when i was so busy 6 weeks ago mm. so i think this passage might help us discern what are we going to do and who are we going to be when we start getting back together again yeah what have we learned from this time and what do we keep? Cause there are great things that we keep, uh, that we've always done, but what do we let go of and, and how yeah. can we, what might God be teaching us right now and how might the spirit be leading us? So, I can, I'm excited to be back together, not only to see everyone and to pick up and do everything the way we always have. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to get together and do some of this discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit together about yeah. what God is doing in the church.
0: Yeah. I, um, so since we've, uh, the last couple of years here, we've been part of, um, Beaverton Foursquare Church, which is a really, really big church, thousands of people. And, you know, it's, Great moving worship experience. good good messages, great program for the kids. Um, but, we just do not feel connected at all. Our best friends go there. We've met a few other people there. We did a small group thing to try to meet some more people and learn more about this church. Um, And that was ironically interrupted by the quarantine. Um, We were only halfway through this small group thing, but, um, but when this hit, and of course, like this church, you know, it has very high production. Everything is online now. You know, they're doing zoom calls for, for teen stuff. And, you know, videos are coming out for all ages um, every week, but (sighs) they're just, we just have not wanted to engage that. Um, but a couple of weeks in we started, I, I saw, um, in the Conejo Valley Church of Christ church that we used to be at, um, when we were in California uh, for the first five years, um, they were doing a, an online service, um, through YouTube and we were like, Oh, let's check that out. And so we did, and we've done that now for the last, um, three weeks, I think two or three weeks. And, um, it's been so amazing. Um, I've never done a YouTube live thing like that before, but so we've got like, um, the stream is going on the TV and then I have my phone there where I have the stream on my phone as well. And below is just a constant chat thread. So like everybody who's signed, not everybody's commenting, I'm sure, but people are greeting each other and responding to what they've heard and doing prayer <coughs> requests. And, um, it's amazing. And I feel like, You know, instantly, like so much more connected with this group of people, even though almost all of my parents are signed in from Boston, and there's other people, um, you know, who used to go to the church who are living in Texas or Northern California who are all like reunited. Um, But that connection to like real people and, you know, knowing about each other's families, that history, all of that has been so missing in our present. Um, church context up here. And I just keep thinking, man, I hope they'll keep doing this (laughs) once the quarantine is over. Like, is it possible for us to be members of a church that's in Southern California? (laughs) Isn't that funny?
1: I've been hearing a lot of people having those uh, reactions to this time. And and I've been hearing people say things like, you know, I've, I've thought that I'm a part of a church because it has this program or that program or whatever big thing it has. But this time is reminding me it's about the people and it's about being the people of God together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good. I think we're learning that lesson. Um, And it's not about, to me, it seems, interestingly, does this make sense to you? It's like we're realizing we can be more unplugged. (laughs) Even though we can, meaning less produced, less fancy, less, we don't need fancy stuff. We don't need, um, you know, all of the, these lights and all all of this stage stuff, we need each other. And I wonder if we're learning that during this time, (laughs) you know, through these, just these times that we get together. And I don't know about you, but I love being on a zoom worship time we're doing zoom worship times I love being on zoom worship times or you know just family gatherings or whatever with people who don't do technology a lot they're helping mm-hmm. it's fun, <laughs> it's fun. Um, because so it's just you get to share life and learn things together and do things together so yeah anyway I'm enjoying it this time in an interesting way even though we wouldn't have ever chosen it
0: yeah yeah we're
1: having moments like like what you're getting to have
0: yeah <laughs> Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Um, One last thing. I know that you interact with lots of students who are planning to go into ministry. Is there like a word of wisdom or advice that you typically give to people um, who are, who are considering going into ministry, who are maybe early in their ministry journey?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I know a lot of um, men and women are listening to your podcast, but there's obviously a focus on women going into ministry and I mean, this is just my experience and it's your experience as well. One of the things that I'm really emphasizing to men and women, but it's maybe especially women um, now is to set themselves up to be bivocational. Mm -hmm. And I think, please go into ministry, do it. I want people to go into ministry, but realize that um, we need to be ready to be bivocational. It's just what's happening in the church. It's what's happening in many denominations. And so I think it's, a. am around college students who are spending a lot of money and discerning their vocation. And I'm just encouraging that right now. Mm -hmm. So
0: by vocational, meaning you do something to pay the bills or to mostly pay the bills, and then you also engage ministry.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you think you'll, you know, do an undergrad degree, a master's degree, and a doctorate degree like you and I have done, um, and that will for sure result in a full-time job, I'm not certain that that's the case for especially mm-hmm. women going into ministry. And that may sound negative. I don't mean it to be negative. I mean it to be, um, I, I think women should be doing ministry degrees, um, as much as possible. But when you're in school, you can also do something to be bivocational and have, have other ways to support your family and to do meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's, uh, you know, take that as uh, positive or negative, I guess people might hear. I see it as positive because I think it's, I think it can be the future in which um, men and women who are doing ministry are also very involved in communities. And mm-hmm. I'm excited about how the church may look different in the coming uh, 50 years than it did in the last 50 years. To me, that sounds like a great thing.
0: Yeah, there's really no telling even in the very short term, you know, what what the outcomes of all of this experience may be and what opportunity, you know, how many churches are going to be closing their doors or or new churches, you know, being planted, but um I I have long thought that if for somebody who's not drawing a paycheck from a church, they have the freedom to speak a word that they have heard from God without fear yeah. of losing their job or you know, like there's just a, there's, there's a power difference there, a big power difference. Um, and I think we need more of that. We need more people who can courageously speak words that need to be spoken.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. So that's what I'm, that's the word of advice that I'm offering when people ask these days.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your heart and your word with us for, um, for dwelling in the text, um, even outside of the text, um, as, as you were led to, um, and for sharing with us.
1: Well, thanks for doing the podcast. I listen to it a lot and it's, it's fun.
0: Thank you so much, Sarah. If today you find yourself on the outside without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, May you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash Christie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Christie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.